Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. There's plenty to discuss today following Tottenham's 2-2 draw against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. We'll also be looking ahead to the final two weeks of the transfer window and then also reflecting on Deli Alley's potential move from Everton to Besiktas. Alistair Gold is joining me as ever. All good with you, Ali? Yes, yes, all good. Uh, I can confirm that Guesty and I shook hands just before we started this podcast and Guesty let go of my hand in a timely manner so there was no issues with the handshake and uh, we're free to carry on with the podcast as normal. Yeah, what, what a... <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur, they just don't do it. There's nothing normal about Tottenham Hotspur. Who would have thought that would be, you know, this podcast would begin talking about a handshake. <laughs> Only in the world of Spurs can that be something that ends up dom- uh, dominating things. Uh, but to be honest, not the greatest of games, but absolutely loads for us to kind of dive into. And not only that, but loads to kind of talk about in the transfer window as well and what we've got in, what is it, just over a fortnight, roughly a fortnight left, uh, the transfer window. So, yeah, let's dive in. Loads of stuff. Yeah, I'm sure everyone knows the story of the match, but obviously if you don't, it was Chelsea went ahead through a volley through Kalidou Koulibaly. Tottenham equalised in the second half through Pierre-Emile Hoybjerg. Reese James put Chelsea ahead about 10 minutes later and then thankfully Harry Kane in the right place at the right time to head in even Perisic's corner deep into stoppage time. So Ali... First of all, do you want to just give us your thoughts on Tottenham's performance and then the overall result? Yeah, yeah, it was, it's such a funny one because I think, I mean, you even heard Harry Kane, was it on the, the BBC interview saying about sk- scoring the winning goal? Because it wasn't a winning goal, it was a draw, but I think Spurs will take quite a lot from the game despite the fact that they weren't very good. Um, it was one where kind of, mentally, I think that last gasp was a 96th minute leveller, will probably do a lot more for Spurs. I think it will still do something for Chelsea, because I think a lot of people were prematurely writing Chelsea off. Um, and they, you know, they played pretty well. Um, had they had any kind of striker up front, I think they probably could have got walked away with the game. Um, because, yeah, their, their shooting was was terrible, um, to be honest. You know, the, I was trying to think, what was it, two shots on target from the 16 attempts, I think it was? Uh, no, sorry, three. That was it, because Hugo Lloris had that save to make as well, didn't he, uh, before the first goal. Um, but for Spurs, I think this will be a psychological boost, mainly because of the fact that how poor they were in the four matches last season. Um, and Spurs were an absolute mile behind Chelsea last season, whereas this time they didn't play well, yet still drew at Stamford Bridge. And I think that says a lot. Um, they obviously they did ride their luck at times. That Havertz volley from about three yards out that he somehow put wide, one of the moments. Um, and yeah, some refereeing moments that perhaps <laughs> were a little bit iffy. Um, but you know, it's interesting because even even the aftermath, I've seen little things that I didn't see at the time. Like um, obviously, we'll talk about the. Uh, Romero pulling Cucurella's hair but I didn't actually notice there was a moment earlier on when Cucurella seems to catch Romero uh, and looked very painful so yeah it's uh, it was a strange game it, was, it wasn't it was quite the battle of the bridge it was more the battle of the dugouts there was some good tactical stuff I felt from both managers and how they tried to change their teams especially in that second half 
Um, but for Tottenham, it was a show that they've got a better squad. They've got a much better bench now to be able to change matches. And I think all the subs he brought on did make a difference. And uh, yeah, hey, unbeaten start to the season. So it can't be that bad. Yeah, uh, well, ahead of the game, I was confident of Tottenham getting three points at Stamford Bridge. And they were probably all Tottenham fans didn't share my optimism given uh, the previous record that in West London uh, since the Premier League began in 1992. Uh, mainly I was so confident basically because of how Tottenham ended the season, how to start the new season. And then Chelsea, on the other hand, really uh, struggled in the final two months of uh, last campaign. And I think if the season went on for a, a couple of weeks longer, they might have dropped out of uh, the top four. And following a summer where, you know, there's just been a number of question marks given the takeover, they've lost some players, uh, brought new players in who need time to bed in. I thought Spurs would have gone there uh, full of confidence and, you know, get the win. But what turned out to be, it was like Spurs are previous going to Stamford Bridge just seems to be a bit of trepidation in the game. But I think you've got to give credit to Chelsea for the way they played. I, I thought that was probably one of their best performances in months. I thought they looked really good. I know you alluded to the poor finishing uh, at times and Spurs were potentially lucky to only be 1-0 down at halftime given how well Chelsea played. I thought Tuchel got his tactics bang on. I think a lot of question marks were probably raised in terms of the selection with Ruben Loftus-Cheek as a right wing back. But obviously he shifted into midfield to create a three-man midfield when Chelsea were in possession. And then having Reese James as a right-sided centre-back, you know, worked to perfection for Chelsea with uh, just the job he did on Son. So he had barely any impact on the game. But yeah, I think it was a game Spurs probably deserve to lose when you're looking at the balance of play. But I think it just shows that you know, the character they have now to go right until the final whistle and, you know, to get a point when they potentially didn't deserve to get any at Stamford Bridge. So, point gained. They can take a lot of confidence from it and, you know, just move on to the Wolves game now. Yeah, definitely. It was um, it was interesting because they started really well. I felt in the first five to ten minutes, they looked bright. They showed really good intensity. They got up the pitch kind of high up there. Um, I think they had a couple of shots blocked as well. But yeah, just just as the game wore on, they just maybe showed a little bit too much respect to Chelsea. Um, although weirdly, when you look back on the game, Spurs probably had the bigger chances. You know, you had Harry Kane going through, Sessegnon went through. Although we don't know whether he maybe would have been offside. I think there was some suggestion he might have been. Um, Spurs had some big chances. One where Kane put Sonny through as well, and Sonny hit a kind of not the greatest shot, but then you know Mendy did get a hand to it and stopped it going past him. So. Yeah, it, it was just such a weird game. I think Reese James was pivotal. I thought Reese James was really, really good on the day. He was kind of given a dual role, which was to get up the pitch and cause all kinds of problems for Spurs down the, that flank, But which he did, putting some sort of really good crosses, and of course he scored as well. But he also had like his other part of his job was essentially just to harass Son and just mark him wherever he went and give him no time on the ball. Um, and that was what he did because Sonny had a tough game. You know, Sonny... 
um, was putting such pressure on the ball. And every time it came to him, he was struggling to hold on to it because if it wasn't James there, you had Mount snapping at his heels and Loftus-Cheek. Um, I think in a, that would normally be fine if you had Kulisewski on the other side absolutely balancing it out and being able to have more space and, and, and do stuff. But I felt that he actually had probably just as kind of ineffective a game as Son did. And that's where Spurs probably struggled in a lot of their play. And that's why I think it was only when Richarlison came on, it gave them something extra, the Chelsea defence, to think about. And suddenly it freed up some of the other players as well. Um, but yeah, no, Rhys James, I thought, played really well. You know, I'm sure Spurs fans won't care, but I thought it was quite unfortunate the the levelling goal right at the end actually ended up coming off his thigh and potentially really was maybe even an own goal because I don't know if Kane's header was actually going inside the post or not. Um, but, you know, I thought he played well and Loftus-Cheek was, was good as well. Um, yeah, it was such a weird game. It's one of those where my player ratings were, were quite low for everyone involved. I think the top players only got seven for Spurs. Um, yet they came away with a point that they would have loved last season. Um, it's such a strange way football works. Sometimes you aren't at your best, but you end up getting a big point or sometimes three points. And sometimes you'll absolutely smash it and you'll get nothing for a game. Um, but I think they can take quite a lot from the game in terms of that the mentality aspect, showing the character, um, having the spirit to hang on in there, as it were, um, and also showing a bit of passion, which their manager certainly did on the touchline as well. Yeah, he did. Just going back to Son, obviously Reese James did such a good job on him. And I think that's something Son and probably, you know, Kane, Kulisevsky are going to have to get used to over the course of the season because they're so good in the final third that teams are going to look to nullify them by having them man-marked. And I think it was probably, I can only remember, a couple of occasions where Son got the better of Reese James. I think one was literally with two minutes on the clock where Dan Kulisewski picks up a loose ball from Jorginho and tried to put him through, but obviously got the pass wrong. I think it was probably just a bit rusty given there was barely two minutes on the clock and the pass was just behind Son, whereas if it was ahead of him and Son took that chance, you know, different game altogether. And then the other time when Son got ahead of Reese James, that was from a Chelsea corner and James had to do the tactical foul on the halfway line just to take a book in. So one of those games uh, for Son, hopefully on uh, Saturday against Wolves, he'll uh, pop up and get his first goal of the season. Yeah, it's like, like I was saying, really, with three attacking players and three terrific attacking players, it shouldn't really happen. You shouldn't really be able to man-mark someone else. So it's one of those where I think, yeah, Son had a, a bad at the office because of how Chelsea dealt with him. Um, but really, hopefully in the future, Spurs can afford to have one of the three having a bad game because the others should be able to get more space because of that. Um, and yeah, it just didn't work for some reason. And uh, but that's why Richarlison is there, so that he can he can make these changes. And if someone it's not quite working for, although interestingly, Kulusevski stayed on the entire game, didn't he? Towards the end, Spurs had so many attacking players on that pitch. Um, for a while, it became a four-two-four before he made um, uh, brought Perisic on and Lucas as a wing back as well. Um, it was yeah, we saw some formation shifts, but ultimately they. 
kind of did what they were meant to do because both formation shifts brought goals. And I think he just would have wished that, you know, he had uh, Basuma and Perisic on the sidelines at one point trying to bring them on. And that was when James scored. Um, and if he'd maybe got them on a bit earlier, that goal wouldn't have happened. So, yeah, tactical stuff was fascinating. Um, what was going on in the dugouts was fascinating. Some of the play wasn't as fascinating, but there were certainly um, lots of off-the-ball elements that I'm sure we can delve into as well. Yeah, I thought the 4-2-4 formation was uh, rather bold and potentially something yeah. we'll see uh, later in the season, given you know Tottenham have some brilliant options in attack. And I think just introducing Richarlison, you know, help Spurs because then Chelsea are questioning, well, we've got four attackers now, you know, to try and deal with. And I know a lot of people were probably questioning why Tottenham had bought Richarlison in the summer, especially given Harry Kane, Dane Kuliseski, son in front of him in the pecking order and they were spending 60 million on him. But that's why he was brought to the club for what he did on Sunday against Chelsea. I thought it was fantastic it's just the energy he brings his work rate his desire you know to go and win the ball and make things happen and i i just thought he was fantastic and a bit of a game changer really helped swing the game back in the direction of tottenham and just looking at him celebrating those goals he was celebrating like you know they were both of his goals and uh has he forgotten everton already do you think Apparently so. He must have done. <laughs> he must have done. But yeah, he. Uh, that's why Everton fans loved him, just for what he brings, his work rate and his desire. And I think all Tottenham fans at Stamford Bridge and all those watching on back at home certainly appreciated it. And he did get quite a big cheer. I think it was after Hoybjerg's goal. Uh, he made a block on, I think it was Thiago Silva, potentially. Yeah, and the ball went out for throwing and there was... You know, a huge share. So, yeah, I mean, it's great to be able to bring Rich Allison off the bench and just make an impact on the team. Yeah, I think that's the thing now. I think he is going to create that fear, I think, in that front three because as good as they are and as, as fantastic as they've been and even the names that they are, I think Conte is very, very swiftly been incredibly impressed with Richarlison behind the scenes. I think he really, really likes him. And I think the moment any of them aren't performing, Richarlison will be on the pitch like a shot. And not only that, maybe start the next game. Um, because I, I think he's I think he's going to get a lot of game time this season. Um, I think, you know, you don't buy someone for that sort of money just so they can warm the bench and be there as an option. I think he will be rotating a lot with those front players. Um, and yeah, it puts pressure on Kulisevsky. Um, I'd also say Son a bit as well. I, I don't think Son can feel he's safe. And came to a degree, obviously, Richardson isn't a natural striker, but he can play there. Um, so certainly he can't rest on his laurels either. Because, you know, say you're getting to an hour into a game and he's looking off of it, Conte might try and shake things up and bring Richarlison on and put him in there or Son through the middle. Um, yeah, I like what Richarlison did uh, at Stamford Bridge. He came on and he was a pest. He was really annoying, um, like a pigeon flying around them, as it were. Um, he was very much uh, getting in their faces. Like you say, that... that Sliding block was superb. It was right in front of the away fans. They got all excited again, rose their noise, increased their noise. 
Um, and just his movement was very good. There was lots of moments where he was trying to break away and provide an option. There was a couple that were, the flag went up, but you could just see he was giving them something more to aim for, the midfielders and the wing-backs, to, to, or technically wingers at that point, to pass on to. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll see a lot from him. And bear in mind, that was his debut, wasn't it? That was his first kind of, we forget it almost, that he wasn't available for Southampton. Um, and who knows? Who knows? I I wouldn't be shocked if after Kulisevsky's quite quiet performance, maybe Conte says, well, let's give Richarlison a start against Wolves. Who knows? It might work that way. Or if it doesn't, like I say, those players, when it gets near half-time just after, if they haven't been doing the job, Richarlison will be on like a shot. Um, yeah, and I was impressed with him. And like you say, the passion's already there. He feels clearly one of the team. Um, seems to be getting on. Obviously, we know he gets on with the Brazilian lads, but he's already seems to have struck up a good friendship with Sonny as well, and I'm sure a few of the others too. Yeah, unfortunately, I do think Everton are very much in the in the rear window now. I think he's uh, he is a Tottenham boy now, um, and uh, yeah, he, he looks it looks like he's going to play a big part in Tottenham's season. Yeah, I think one other thing we have to touch on from the game set pieces, uh, obviously. Yeah. Tottenham brought in Gianni Vio, uh, who has enjoyed a lot of success in Italy previously, had a spell at Brentford, the lead. He was part of Roberto Mancini's backroom team for when Italy won the Euros uh, last summer. Some of the set pieces were certainly interesting. I think one in the first 10 minutes, which was Son uh, with a free kick on Tottenham's right. Usually, the free kick in that position, you'll have two players around the ball, one the right footer wanting to swing it in and then the left footer as well. But Son and Kulisewski were both there practically next to each other and it was Son on his weaker foot who took it and it literally sailed over uh, the crossbar and then one set piece uh, which was rather puzzling was Kulabali's goal. So there was just no one on him. He was in acres of space and I think it was uh, zonal marking, and that's potentially yeah. something Tottenham fans might have to get used to. But we should stress, because I think there's been some confusion on Twitter about this, there's been a lot of people going, oh, but Gianni Vio is coming in, we're conceding from set pieces. We should stress, Gianni Vio is an attacking set piece coach. So uh, I know you know that, but I just just some people clearly on, on Twitter aren't getting that. Um, he is a has his 4,830 different set-piece routines that he works players into. Um, but yeah, defensive ones, we can only blame the, the, the coaches that were there originally because that's not his lookout. Um, but yeah, I think it was Sam Dean pointed out about the attacking free kicks and corners that uh, there were, I think there were two corners each, Son and Perisic, put in-swinging corners in with either foot. That's that's a level of quality. That is, you know, I know we're saying Sonny's performance wasn't great, but the technical ability to be able to do that, um, especially Perisic, one of them was the assist for the, the goal right at the end. Um, so, yeah, I mean, well, I guess it's another goal from a set piece as well. So Vio's work is kind of there to be seen, although Ben Davies did kind of say, it, you know, he has been working on quite hard, but in moments like that, it's just get your head on the ball. And that any four, any of four players really could have nodded that into the net because it was a quality delivery. It was superb. Uh, but yeah, that defence from the set, it was weird. 
because you couldn't really i mean you could say that son and emerson were both nearish koulibaly but i don't know whether one of them was meant to be in that zone or what they were doing um the defending wasn't great for either goal the second goal eric dyer made eric dyer who wasn't didn't have a bad game i'd say but for that moment just rushed out anticipating a complete different pass that never came left ben davies on his own to deal with both sterling and james um yeah defending was was iffy for those moments um but then maybe they'd argue you know loris had to make well, one save other than the goals. Um, so perhaps they protected him on the whole. I'd kind of say it was more to do with Chelsea just being horrendous uh, when it came into the final third, really. Um, but yeah, yeah, set pieces, eh? Tottenham. It's going to be like, I think we're going to be talking about this a lot this season, going for the attacking ones with VO's input, but also they need to fix those those issues at the back. Um there were a few, I think there were set pieces in pre-season as well that were conceding from as well. So it's definitely an area they've got to tighten up still. Speaking of the back, uh, one of the defenders left out of the squad at the weekend was Jed Spence. I think he's one. What was a bit of a talking point on Twitter ahead of the game when the team was announced at 3.30, but when you're looking at the team, you can probably understand why there was no Jed Spence on the bench. Obviously, it's a bit disappointing for the player and the fans, given he's just joined the club. But if he was on there instead of, say, Brian Hill, then you're going to have far right wing-backs on there. A bench of right wing-backs, <laughs> Yeah, because Tanganga's played in that position before. Uh, Lucas has had cameo appearances in that position during pre-season. So for a game of that magnitude, and I think the game probably showed exactly why Conte needed an extra attacker on the bench just to have those options because Spurs just weren't doing enough in the final third when they were losing 1-0 against Chelsea. So it's unfortunate for Spence, uh, but opportunities will come his way over the course of the season. And, you know, fingers crossed we will see him back in the squad uh, against Wolves on Saturday. But before then, you know, he's just got to get up to speed with Conte and Tottenham's ways and just do his best to catch his eye in training. But yeah. he was... might not. Just, just to warn people, he might not be in the squad for the yeah. Wolves game as well. Because if you look at that bench, kind of the blend of it and the mix of it, it's a very balanced bench. So if he's not there... I presume we'll get lots of people overreacting again and say, oh my God, why did you sign him and all that? But I don't see myself who could have come off that bench. I suppose the only one maybe would have been Brian Hill, but you'd kind of say, well, you want more than two attacking options on your bench. You know, you could maybe argue that Perisic could be that third attacking option as a, as a, a double up. But look, he's seen as the left wing back. Um, so, yeah. I do wonder whether we're going to get another kind of massive hysteria after that one as well. I've just got to understand, he is a young player. It's just the way it is. Who knows, next season, Destiny Adogi. Um, or, sorry, Udogi. I've got to get it right with your pronunciation as you're the man that knows. Um, he may come in next season. If Perisic and Session are there, there might be a couple of early games that he doesn't get into the squad. Who knows? But, you know, when you've got three people in one position, it means someone's going to miss out. And uh, I'll be honest, I think he kind of made the right call for that squad. I, I couldn't really see the issue with it, but I understand people's frustrations at not being able to see a new signing, I guess. I think when you're looking at 
the substitutes bench and there's nine on it. Obviously, you're going to have one goalkeeper. It's usually two centre-backs, two central midfielders, and then either two or three attackers. So that mm. potentially, depending on how many attackers you select, it's going to be either one or two wing-backs. So there are going to be a number of occasions this season when, you know, Spence or potentially some of the other wing-backs miss out on the squad. It's, mm. it's just one of those things. And you've also got to factor in, there's no Clement Longley in the squad. Oliver Skip's injured. So that's another yeah. two players who are going to be fighting for a position in the squad. Pape Matasar as well. well I, possibly. I think Pape Matasar was the one who maybe could have had more of a grievance because, like you say, you probably could do with two central midfielders on that bench. And yeah, yeah. And, and he didn't get there. Or, or maybe Harvey White. Yeah, and possibly new signings as well to bring into the equation if there's a bit more yeah. movement between now and the end of the window. So it's... It's just one of those things. Suspensions and injury are going to happen over the course of the season. So, you know, players who do miss out on the squad are going to come in. And Champions League, I think, is it 11 subs you have rather than nine? I think you have more in Europe, yeah, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So it'll definitely be in that squad. So there's there's always going to be opportunities. It's just Spence and Sal with the unlucky ones to miss out. Uh, I think what the bench on Sunday did signal as well the strength in depth just to be able to bring Richarlison on Perisic Basuma as well now it's just it's great and you know it's chalk and cheese isn't it compared to last season when the final few games about four or five youngsters on there yeah I mean they brought on those three players you mentioned all were starting players at their clubs week in week out last season Lucas Mora came on who started a lot of games last season as well um, yet there were Spurs bench players in quote marks for yesterday. Um, I don't think they'll, you know, I don't think they'll be seen as bench players going forward because I think of the rotation element that's going to come in. But yeah, that bench was so strong compared to what we've seen. And Chelsea Spurs is always the game where I feel in the years gone by we've seen the divide between the two teams. I'll always come back to that semi final um, at Wembley in the FA Cup when I think Chelsea were able to bring on Costa. Hazard and Fabregas from the bench and Spurs brought on Kyle Walker as their attacking uh, first sub and then I think in Kudu and Janssen I think they were the other two or something like that and it was a bit like for me that was kind of the perfect example of, of just how different the squad has always been and I think we're at a stage now where this is probably the strongest Spurs squad I've seen in years absolutely years because there are two very strong 11s they can now put out. And it's a case for Conte of finding the blend between them all. You know, I keep saying this about the central midfield. He seems to have his midfield partnerships that he likes. I personally think, only look at what it is right now, it looks like his initial thinking is Hoybier with either Hoybier or Skip with Bentoncourt or Basuma. That looks to be the kind of the blend that he feels he needs. Maybe feeling that Skip and um, Hoybier are the two that are the most similar, and then Bentancur and Basuma are most similar. But I've seen a lot of people asking they want to see Basuma and Bentancur. Um, when actually I thought Hoybier first half he wasn't particularly great, Hoybier, but I felt as the game wore on he, he kind of really grew into it. Hoybier, um, he likes a scrap, he likes a battle, doesn't he? He's your kind of man for that sort of stuff, and and his finish was very good as was his ball through to Kane for what should have been a goal as well. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think this is the key now for him is to find the blend of what games, because this has always been the Spurs thing, hasn't it? Whenever some manager has tried to change the 11, we've seen it in Europe as well. It's been a bit of a disaster because the blend hasn't worked whatsoever. So that will be the biggest thing for Conte over this season is working out who you can take out and put in, who plays best alongside who, which players work really well kind of coming from the bench, which players less so. There's a lot to it. But in terms of strengths and the quality now, the depth that he's got at his disposal, his options are a world away from turning to his bench and seeing young academy players that he knew weren't quite ready yet. Um, yeah, it's exciting stuff when you look at it in that respect. Right, let's get on to the Conte and Tuchel incidents because I'm sure that's what everyone's looking forward to. Obviously, do you want to just give us your thoughts on what happened? Given, I mean, you were practically in ringside seats there given how the Chelsea's press box is. It is. It is right up behind that dugout. Um, the We were right behind the Spurs dugout. So, yeah, yeah, we, 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 <laughs> we saw it all going on. Um, I did find it funny that a German media outlet that was saying Conte was swearing at the um, Chelsea bench which is why it all kicked off um, German publication in backing German manager shocker um, but what just made me chuckle was that they were going at each other the benches from the beginning of the match pretty much any time anyone moaned at the fourth official the other dugout would moan at them for moaning about it <laughs> there was so much going on um, oh my goodness it was just madness and I do, there's a part of me that initially thought, okay, so when Conte celebrated Hoybier's first equaliser, that it was a bit like, okay, celebrating towards the fans because the away fans were kind of behind the Chelsea fans in terms of the direction he was facing. But then I've seen in kind of subsequent replays, as Tuchel comes over to moan to the fourth official <laughs> about presumably either the Bentoncourt uh, tackle on Havertz or the Richarlison being in an offside position, Conte does appear to continue to celebrate in Tuchel's like, direction. <laughs> it was just it was just like two kids on the sideline because after that, you know, after they're kind of coming together, and the irony of Eric Dyer having to separate them, having been like a main instigator at the Battle of the Bridge was quite funny. But then, yeah, then Tuchel... Um, Obviously, when Rich James scored, had that over-the-top running sprint down the touchline past Conte. And it's funny because I do think it's a good thing that Conte didn't notice him then because I think both would have ended up with their second yellow cards at that point. And then he put that, I'd have to say, funny but bizarrely badly timed <laughs> post on uh, Instagram later that evening, something like, Oh, you're lucky I didn't see you because I would have tripped you over and you would have deserved it. <laughs> it was like a near near kind of thing. It was like a really like quite an immature thing. I loved it, but for a 53-year-old who's been there, seen and done it, it was so funny. I mean, of course, with social media accounts, we don't know whether it's a social media person doing it for them or not. But I just thought, oh my goodness, you're likely to have a charge coming your way from the FA and you're now saying you would have tripped him if you'd seen him. And, you know, I know it was a joke and you got all the laughy kind of emojis afterwards, but oh, it just went on in that vein all match. They were just sniping each other. And, you know, some fans, Spurs fans have said, you know, Tuchel could have got a yellow card merely for sprinting out of his touchline, um, technical area and going down the touchline. Because, you know, he is kind of inciting things, I guess, as well. And then we had the handshake. Oh, my goodness. Never before 
has I mean my favorite kind of thing I've seen of it so far is have you seen the one where they've put it to the strictly come dancing music? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. That's probably my favorite version I've seen of uh social media dealing with it since because Conte's face in the moment that he realizes Tuchel is not letting go of his hand, it's like it's like a, a mix between horror, shock, disbelief, fury. It's just it's an incredible face he does, and that will be memes for years to come. They will make of that. Um, I I thought it was quite poor on Tuchel's part. Of that I thought that was really. Um, I'm trying to think the best word that isn't a bad word to use. It was just petty, I think. You know, Conte had done what was needed to be done. They'd had a match where, you know, they were both going at each other the whole time. I'll tell you what, Tuchel and the fourth official, I don't know if this is a regular thing or not, but there's literally as a coach who acted like a minder who every time Tuchel really kept going at the fourth official would put his arm there and haul him away, Tuchel, just to stop him from going too far. Um, but yeah, to watching them, to watch Tuchel do that, I, I get the whole respect thing and looking in someone's eyes when you shake their hand, although the photo very quickly popped up of him doing exactly the same to Sean Dyche and not looking in his eyes after a match he wasn't happy with Burnley about. Um, and yeah, it was just such a over nothing. And then the brawl afterwards is probably the only brawl I've ever seen between two football sides when no one was physically looking to hurt anyone. It was almost like two teams just trying to stop the um, managers kind of doing anything more than they should. And I do hope that when I look back at it, that Conte isn't, you know, I know obviously we know they've both been charged. They've got till tomorrow, uh, so end of Thursday to respond. I'd hope, myself, I don't think either really deserved a straight red card. I'd even say that about Tuchel. I don't think that's a red card holding someone's hand. Let's be honest. Can you imagine on a pitch? Do you think on a pitch, one of the players for holding a player's hand would have got red carded? I don't see why that applies to the, the managers as differently. Yes, it incited that little kind of coming together of all the various dugouts and staff and players. But as I say, no one was throwing punches. There wasn't even pushing going on. I think all I saw was like Basuma acting as a bit of a minder for Conte at one point, holding off uh, Azpilicueta. Saw Kane trying to guide him away. Then we had, yes, he kind of looked like he tried to barge past Kovacic, who was going down the tunnel. I'm led to believe there was a few afters in the tunnel in terms of both sides kind of having a bit of a go at each other as well. But there's no evidence of anything really physical taking place. So I personally don't think either manager should get banned for their next game. I know Spurs fans, obviously... Tuchel was definitely the instigator. Of course he was. I don't think there's any getting away from that. Conte was doing what he had to do because he would have got a fine if he hadn't shook his hand. But Tuchel just grabbing him and in that motion, pulling him backwards, whether he meant to or not. It was just it was just a bunch of nothing. It was so silly. Um, but yeah, we shall find out what happens. I'd be stunned if Spurs don't appeal because I don't think he did anything. Conte, you know... I don't think his his own comments help him. It kind of said in the um, press conference afterwards, you know, I respond to aggression or as ag aggressivity as he calls it with aggression. And it's like, oh, don't say stuff like that. There was no real aggression. There wasn't aggression whatsoever. The press conferences were quite funny because we were kind of waiting to see who'd emerge first and how what mood they'd be in. 
And to be fair, Tuchel came out and Matt Law from The Telegraph jokingly, kind of as he put his dictaphone on the table in front of him, said, well, I was going to shake your hand, but like that. And that kind of deflated any potential kind of stuff, I think. Tuchel was laughing away at that and did this kind of slightly weird thing where he bared his right bicep to everyone as if to show how strong he was. But I could, I saw him laughing on the pitch as he was coming off anyway, so I don't think that he was carrying any anger. Conte, to start with, was a little bit more guarded, but as his press conference went on, he started to chuckle about stuff as well. So, yeah, I hope this is one of these where they don't just decide, let's make an example of them so no one else does it. Because I'm sorry, managers are going to clash on the touchline forever. For the history of football, the future of football, it has always been about managers. You know, I remember Martin Joel and um, Arsene Wenger going head-to-head during a North London derby, which was one of the most ridiculous sights ever. Because as Martin said afterwards, I would have killed him <laughs> because he was a big man, Martin Joel. And Arsene Wenger, obviously, um, a, uh, a tall man, but a slim man. Um, but yeah, so it will always go on. I just think this is one of these where it was a game where <clears throat> it was a derby. It had passion. It had everyone kind of wanting their team to win and trying to fight in a good way, I think, for them to win. So I'd be really disappointed if, be honest, if either man gets a um, a ban from this um, and there's any more coming. But, you know, the FA do what they do. Although I suppose it'll be an independent commission, I presume, will do it. Make the yeah, yeah. I think, obviously, if both appeal, I can't see one being let off and the other one, you know, not. I think they're going to get the same, whatever happens. Uh, but I was watching... Uh, a video of obviously the incidents and I think for the second goal as well for Keynes, Conte's bouncing around right in front of the tunnel, not far from Tuchel. He jumps um, almost into the tunnel. It's weird. Yeah, it's yeah. Almost, I wonder whether in his head he thought, I'm going to run down here and celebrate so I don't cause any more problems. Because he does seem to die. He like doesn't even celebrate with his coaches at first. He just bounds over something and into the tunnel. I don't know. It was a weird one. Yes, I mean, it, it, it could have kicked off there as well. Yeah. But, I mean, as you were saying, there's no punches front. You, you just don't see that in Not even in pushing. Football. Honestly, there's no. no pushing really from what I could see. Yeah, uh, I mean, if it was like rugby league or another sport, yeah. then, yeah, punches would have been thrown. But, no, you don't get that in football. And as you also mentioned, the picture of Tuchel with Sean Dyche from, I think it was yeah. last season when he's not looking him in the eye. If there's one manager you look in the eye when you're shaking his hand after <laughs> a game, it's Sean Dyche, yeah, you know. But obviously, Tuchel had their other ideas. So, yeah, I think all eyes are going to be on what happens next with the managers. But for me, it was Tuchel that instigated it all and that everyone's looking forward to the next meeting between them at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at the end of February. Definitely. Can I just ask you very quickly, what did you think of the two kind of moments around the goals that they were? Actually, three moments. So very quickly, you had, for the first goal, Benton Coast challenge on Havertz, and then Richarlison maybe being in offside position. And then the second one, obviously that Romero hair pull. What were your thoughts on those three moments? Uh, Benton Kerr looking at it first looked to be a foul, but then looking at another angle, it shows him winning the ball. Yeah. For the Richarlison one, I've seen an angle from behind the goal, and for me, it looks to me like Mendy 
can see. Not like yep. Richarlison's directly in front of him. But you're always going to have bodies in and around the box. So yeah. for me, no, that was fine. Romero. <laughs> yeah. It's a different thing, yeah. isn't it? It really is. That's that's a foul. I think it's happened a few times in the past when Fellaini was playing. I think it was it Robert Hooford pulled his hair. Yeah, and but he got done for that, didn't he? Retrospectively. Yeah. Yeah, so whether Romero, it was revenge for Kukurea, you know, yeah. I think he s- stamped on his knee, did he? After oh, a challenge. It's one of those kind of lands on him, yeah. doesn't it? I, yeah. I, I must admit, I don't remember the moment in the game because a few people have said, oh, how comes the press has all missed this? I'll be honest, it looked like it would have happened over the other side of the pitch. We probably just missed it from the press box. And I've only seen a photo since, which obviously does look rubbish. It looks terrible. But... um yeah, it, it just seemed to be a bit of a, a nothing incident. It was just a, a normal collision during the match and you just don't think anything mm. of it. Uh, what I would say about Romero, something I don't particularly like is him celebrating in the face of Reese James yeah, or I didn't like that at all. And any other player. He, he did that. Fans will love uh, it and I know they'll love it and, I, and yeah. I understand that. It'll endear him to the fans but I just think from a football point of view it's, it's not great. Yeah, so he did it in March at Old Trafford, right in Harry Maguire's face after the... But it seems to be people that put the ball in their own net. That's yeah. what and it didn't work out for him at United because Ronaldo, a couple of minutes later, got above Romero and, and scored the winner. Yeah, I like Romero. I think he's oh, brilliant just going into tackles, you know, full pell and, you know, what he does to wind opponents up but that's crossing the line that's way too far over the line literally going into someone's face and screaming I thought he was quite mixed as well at the weekend he had some good moments but I felt he also lost his focus in a few moments as well Um, but the really interesting thing about the the hair pulling aspect is that VAR couldn't tell them they had to give a foul it's really interesting the, the way the quirks of how the VAR system works so VAR the reason that they looked at it was because they could only look to see if it was a violent, um, what was it called? Violent action. I suppose I can't remember what the actual term is. So they can only look at it as a potential red card. Whether the referee and the linesman have missed it as a foul is not for them to decide. They can only look at it as a major incident kind of thing. Um, and the irony is in rugby, uh, I can't remember rugby league or rugby union. I think maybe just in rugby in general, Hair pulling is part of the rules, as in you can cite someone for it, you, you can you can get pulled up for it. Pardon the pun. Um, but in football, there is nothing apparently in the rules that refers to hair pulling. So actually, he couldn't Romero couldn't get done for pulling someone's hair uh, for a violent action because it's not actually part of the rules. Um, so <laughs> very strange moment. But um, yeah, there you go. Spurs, I think, got away with it a bit. They got on and they got to uh, score for that next uh, corner. Yeah. Before we move on to transfers, uh, obviously we're sponsored by NordVPN now. Ali, do you want to tell everyone the benefits of using NordVPN? Yes, of course. Um, our sponsors, NordVPN, come on board. Been very, very good to us, of course. It's great to have sponsors on board. But I have to admit that, you know, and this isn't an advert in terms of, me talking about them in this positive way because they're sponsors. As you will know, if you've heard me say this before, I was using Nord's products uh, before 
Um, I used to use them on the preseason tour. Spurs did as well. Um, and they are very good. The whole aspect of a VPN, if you're not aware of it, is to uh, protect. It's, it's a safety aspect. It protects what's on your computer, tablet, laptop, uh, smartphone, whatever you happen to use it for. It will protect your files. It will protect everything like that from naughty people trying to come in there and take what data and things you've got. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that you can essentially use it to be somewhere else than you're, you are. So whether that means, um, I don't know, let's say you subscribe to some streaming service or some TV thing. If you wanted to go abroad but you couldn't watch your stuff abroad, it allows your device to think it is back home in the UK. So you can use it to that degree. Or I know that some people also use it the other way around. So giving you access to TV and things that are in the rest of the world. So I don't know, perhaps you could set yourself as your location as being New York and you can watch whatever things that American viewers get on their streaming services. That could be movies, sport, football, who knows what it could be. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very, very... A useful product I found in my work, certainly just from a work perspective, um, using the VPN nature of it as well. And uh, yeah, definitely something to look into. Um, and Guesty, I believe you have an offer for people as well if they want to get it for a reduced price. I do. You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right, transfers then, as everyone wants to know what's happening in the world of Tottenham just over two weeks to go now until deadline day, which is... 11pm on Thursday, September the 1st. Tottenham have brought in a seventh new signing that happened on Tuesday evening with Destiny Udogi signing from Udinese on a five-year contract. He will go back to the Serie A club on loan for the remainder of the season. I think it was Monday when he was at Hotspur Way to complete his medical and do all the formalities uh, of the move and then it was literally a flying visit because I think it was back in uh, Udinese training yesterday. So, yeah. I was going to ask you, Guesty, how much was Udogi in the window? Just. <laughs> well, you know, people might want to know the fee, you know, and everything that was involved. <laughs> it, it was uh, 15 million and it's rising to 18 million potentially in add ons. So, then. Reported earlier, it seemed to be a bit more. Was it about 22 million, 20 million? Yeah, there was some first quite, reports were inflated ones, yeah. So, potentially, not a bad deal in the end. And it's a player who's done well in Serie A uh, for Udinese. And I think Tottenham fans will be keen to keep an eye on him over the course of the season. Yeah, very talented young man. I should also point out for those of you, because you can't see Guesty's face, Guesty's disgust <laughs> at that. Um, I'm not even going to say, I'm going to say joke in quote marks. Is It was very apparent on his face, and I think he actually struggled to continue with his line of thought. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he he seems like a very talented young man, and, and actually was really impressed by his interview as well. Um, because you know, we'd we'd seen a, a podcast interview done before where we knew his English was very good, but I actually thought his interview for Spurs was excellent. It was very, very mature. And I think that's the thing that everyone's saying about him. He's 19 years old, 
but his performances and his outlook on life as well seems to be very mature. Um, you know, was it 35 Serie A performances last year? Was the was it five goals and eight assists? I think it was something like that. It was quite a high numbers. Was it? Yeah, I think it was something like that. Actually, I may have it right in front of me. Oh, was it eight eight goal involvements in total? Was it five yes. goals, three assists? Five goals, three assists. That was it. Yes, I knew there was an eight in there somewhere. Um, yeah, very talented player. Likely to get a call up to the senior Italy squad, they reckon, this season, the Roberto Mancini. Um, and this is like, it's such a steal. 15 million really is the base figure for someone who... Conte and Paratici believe is going to be one of the top young kind of left wing backs or left sided players in European football in the years to come. So to have tied him down already, got him back on loan to Udinese, where he will hopefully flourish um, and continue to develop this season. And then, yeah, next summer he will arrive and there's going to be pressure on Sessegnon and Perisic this season. Sessegnon to keep developing and show that his long-term future is at Tottenham. And Perisic, I guess, just to show, you know, Conte has been saying a lot. And even after Saturday, he said, um, you know, uh, sorry, Saturday, Sunday, wasn't it? After Sunday, uh, that he's um, not the Perisic I know still, keeps saying that. So it's down to him to show that even he'll be 34 by the time next summer rolls around to show that he is very much a player who can still shine in the second year of uh, his contract at Spurs as well. So I like it. I think it's a very clever deal. I think it's the kind of deal... I know we all want the players for now, but I think also securing these top young players for the future. And he's not, you know, he's not some youngster that is... You know, played a handful of minutes here and there. And I don't want to use him as an example. It seems unfair, but I think he does kind of work in this. I don't think we're talking about like a, a Jack Clark type um, getting kind of handfuls of minutes here and there that Spurs are trying to get for the future. This is a guy who has played a full season of Serie under his belt at the age of 19. Um, he's very much kind of ready. He probably, to be fair, would have been ready for now, I think. But obviously, with the squad that Spurs have, is it kind of there's no need to bring him in right now. And of course, being able to loan him back to Udinese is why you've got that much lower fee as well as part of it all. Um, so yeah, keep an eye on him for next season because I think, uh, well, if he continues at the rate that he's progressing and developing right now, he physically I think will be absolutely fine with the Premier League as well. I think he's about six foot one, he's a big lad. Um, and, yeah, the fact that he came here for Conte and he's talking about, you know, he's coming in a year's time, I think is also a nice pointer towards the future under Conte as well, with some people thinking he might be heading off. So, not now, but, you know, maybe next summer. Uh, I think that's uh, exciting signs for the future. Yeah, staying in Italy, uh, as always during the transfer window, we see a number of players in Serie A linked with moves to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh a new name on the list, uh, Ruslan Malinowski from Atlanta, attacking midfielder, who's done well uh, for the Bergamo-based club. He got 10 goals and 7 assists last season. So he's been linked. Uh, obviously, Tottenham didn't fans ideally want an attacking midfielder brought in. Spurs haven't really replaced Christian Eriksen, and that's almost three years since he departed the club. And another player who's been linked, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic uh, from Lazio. He's been linked with 
moved to the Premier League for quite some time now, but he a move just hasn't come his way yet. Are these potential deals what could happen? Or is it a case of, you know, just the focus at the moment is getting players out the door? Yeah, I'm sure. I, look, we knew we knew the deal as soon as Paratici came in, and also um, you know Conte coming in as well. We were going to get links with every single Serie A player going, pretty much, and it's been the case. Uh, and we know that you've just kind of got a filter in your mind, pretty much the ones that make sense, the ones that don't make sense. Um, what I would say. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think the key right now is when it comes to any foreign signings is kind of is hold your horses a little bit because it may well be that there's interest there. And, and look, you know, especially um, Milinkovic Savic, you know, he is a player that people have raved about for years as well. So, of course, there will be an interest there. And then, you know, he's an att- he can play an attacking role as well. So his goals and assists were both in double figures, I think, last season, weren't they? Um, you know, very good players. But right now, sorry to be the boring duo that we are that always bring you the homegrown foreign player stuff, but we have to pay attention to it because at the moment, Spurs can't fit these new sign any more foreign new signings into their um, Champions League squad. And we know that when you're trying to bring in players, you are doing so with the lure of playing Champions League football. So, we're going to talk about Tongi in a minute, but if Tongi Ondembele heads out the door, Spurs are still two over, aren't they? Even if Tongi goes in their foreign player numbers. Um, and that will mean, you know, you'd expect Sergio Regulon to move on, but that still leaves one more. And that's probably going to be maybe Brian Hill and Pape Matasar, I guess, battling it out for that last spot. If they are both to stay. I still have my doubts over whether Brian Hill will be at Spurs by the end of the window. But all of that is without taking into account any new arrivals. So you shove another new arrival in there who's a foreign player um, and you've just got so many issues in who can be in that European squad and who can't. Um, And there's also the other element to it is you could argue, oh, we'll bring in a homegrown player. But actually... We're looking at the numbers, and there's a stage where if you go too far in the other direction with your homegrown players, you have to fit them in, and actually it means you have to have one less or two less in your foreign players. Because if if people aren't aware, so your foreign player limit is your maximum of 17, or non-locally trained, as they call it. And Spurs have got this age-old problem now of Eric Dyer, uh, Matt Doherty, it was Joe Roden, but he's gone, Ben Davies, all being unable to be registered as homegrown because of this ridiculous thing, especially with the the Irish and Welsh players, that it has to be from the nation of the league that you're in. Um, so 17 non-locally trained players is your maximum. Then you have in the, Euro- the Champions League, you have four club trained players you've got to be, you've got to have, which will be interesting if we expect Harry Winks to move on. Because then, you know, even that, you're looking at what, probably Kane, uh, Tanganga, Brandon Austin. If if, if Jaffet stays around as well, this is another issue of why maybe letting him go would be a problem. Same with Harvey White. Maybe you'd have to bring Harvey White into that four. So then after that, you then have four. So it's four club-trained players, and you have to have players in those spots. There's no kind of getting around it. You have to have that. Then you have four homegrown players or locally trained. 
So that would be Yasesunyon. Oh, sorry, Skip. Skip would be another one, wouldn't he, of course, for yeah. the club trained. Um, then you've got four homegrown ones. So that would be Sessignon, Spence. Um, who else we got for those slots? I feel like there's more. It probably is. I'm just trying I to I know. Think. You know what? We've been doing this for so long. We've <laughs> actually got it out of our heads. Um, I've actually got a list. Fraser Forster. Fraser Forster. That is another one, definitely. Um, let me get it up here because I've got the list here right in front of me. Right. So this is, I know this is an awkward pause to podcast, but I want to get this right rather than guessing. So, so the homegrown players, yes, you've got Forster, Austin, Tanganga, Spence, Sessignon, Skip, Winks, and Kane. So, yes, you can leave a space, I think, in the four homegrown ones, not, and we're not talking about the club trained ones. But, like I say, the solution maybe is to maybe sign another homegrown player and then you're limiting still. It's honestly, Guesty and I have both written articles galore on it. Just look at London and have a look at the many ones we've written about it. Um, I'm sure Guesty is probably, he writes them even more regularly than me, so there's probably one quite recently. Um, this is why I think when we all get very excited and we see these names linked with Spurs, it's not as easy in practice as it looks. And I think a lot of these media outlets in other countries all just see it as they don't know that. So they just see straight off, Spurs want this player, it will happen. And it's like, it doesn't really work like that. I think Spurs to sign another foreign player would probably have to get Reguilon out the door, probably Brian Hill going somewhere, and then another. But that's just to bring in one foreign player. Um, and whether that's Pape Matasar or not, I don't know. So you'd have to get all of those out the door. And then, like I say, if you then let someone like Tanganga go because they want regular football, let's say, you're running into all kinds of issues. It's it's so much more complicated than just sign player A, B or C. So, uh, sorry, I know that was a little bit waffly, but it, it's one of these scenarios we end up having to talk about every window. And this one is no different. The Premier League squad, I should say, is a little bit easier. Premier League squad, there is space. But we know when you're signing players, nobody wants to come to a Champions League club and be told, oh, we'll sign you, but you can't play in the Champions League or someone that's already there being told they can't play in the Champions League. And this is why I wonder whether certain players like Emerson Royale, I know some people don't want to hear it, but I do wonder whether, despite the fact that he's starting matches right now, if a decent offer came in at the end of the window, do Spurs look at that and think, well, you know, that's a foreign player off the books and helps us to bring in another player that we've been keeping an eye on. It's why there's so many permutations to all of these transfer moves in and out. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But I think we are about to have, uh, or soon about to have a second, because we've had one departure and I think we're going to have another one soon as well, aren't we? Yeah, just before we go on to that, what was going to link in rather nicely <laughs> was... Sorry, speak- I ruined your second. Yeah, yeah. I destroyed it. Speaking of homegrown players, uh, James Garner, he is Manchester United. He's been linked with a move to Tottenham in recent days. Uh, He obviously could come in and help the numbers. Uh, It does look like he's going to leave Manchester United this summer, despite their midfield struggles. I don't know why he's not getting a chance in the team. He's a player Fabio Perastici will know well, having been to watch Nottingham Forest on a few occasions last season. He's done, did really well at the city ground. I think Forest probably desperately wants him back at the club. Uh, so another central midfielder, would he be a good option? 
again, many sides to this. On one side of it, you're quite right. Pratichy, every time he went to watch Jed Spence, apparently came back kind of raving about uh, James Garner and how good he was. Um, and obviously, he's a guy that is quite a, a kind of a box-to-box midfielder as well, isn't he? Chipped in with a lot of goals and assists as well for Forrest. Um, so there's that side to it. Definitely a player that Spurs and Pratichy in particular really likes. The other side to that, though, is... <sighs> I don't think Spurs can offer him a pathway that's any better than Man United's. Um, if anything, like you say, I'm surprised Man United don't just put him in their team and give him a shot. But with Spurs, you've already got Hoybier, Benton, Kerbisuma and Skip. There's so little place to then try and put in a 21-year-old. Um, you know, it's going to be tough enough for Pape Natasar as it is. Um, so, and also, if I'm Ghana, I probably look at that situation and think, ugh. I probably would be better going back to Forest, to be honest, if they're going to bid the right money, because I will play week in, week out for them among their 75 new signings they've made this summer. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those. I think we chalk it down to interest. I don't think Spurs have entirely made up their mind of whether they will make a move. But I think, from what I understand, it's maybe edging towards the unlikely purely because of that, because of the difficulty in, I think, the, maybe just the player himself would would be less up for that, unless they do something where they could sign him and, and loan him back. Um, or, lo- sorry, not loan him back, loan him somewhere like Forrest. Um, it's a difficult one because I don't think players always like that. I was always told that about when Jed Spence was, was coming in, uh, that the intention from you know his camp and people around him was that he didn't want to go to a big club only to be loaned straight out. And I'd imagine for Ghana, it would seem to be a similar thing. You're already at a big club in Man United. Why would you want to move to another big club that you'd just be farmed out straight away again? Um, but yeah, talented player. Talented player he is. And I think he was, he's got quite a big future ahead of him, which makes it all the more baffling that United would be willing to let him go. But... I guess when we're seeing what's going on there, um, you just don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next at that place. No, uh, I think the move to Tottenham would be an attractive proposition for him. But as you were saying, it's you'd be the fifth in the midfield pecking order. There's no mm-hmm. Carabao Cup football till November. You're not likely to get a lot of minutes on the belt. And Ghana, his age needs to be playing regularly. I think... If I was him, I'd be looking at going back to Forest. if Forrest do move for him and yeah. have uh, a bid accepted. So to go back to your previous link about uh, <laughs> obviously one player out at the door who was Giovanni Lo Celso, finally went to Villarreal on Sunday uh, on a season He, he looked devastated, field. devastated to leave. <laughs> so the next player out of the door looks to be Tongi on the belly. Uh, he will be going to Napoli as things stand. Another one on a on a loan deal, but I believe this one's got an option to buy, whereas La Celsa doesn't. And I think it's around, what, 30 million euros? What equates about 25 million pounds, I think? Yeah. Like from what we were told kind of before, just before we started recording this, is that there's an agreement in principle there for the move um, between Napoli and, and Spurs. Um but I think Spurs were kind of saying that the talk of a medical was slightly premature. I think it will still happen quite quickly. It may still happen on, on Thursday, which I think some of the reports were saying. But Spurs were saying that hadn't been confirmed, I should stress, as we went to start this podcast. So by the time we finish it, it could be all done and dusted. Um, 
But yeah, they're too. Oh, they're just so frustrating. <laughs> it such a shows what bad business it's been for Tottenham. Two guys, Lacelso and Dembele, more than a hundred million spent on the two of them, and now Lacelso is going off on a loan, which has no option to buy. Um, and there's a break clause in January, which means he can, if Spurs get a good bid for him and he agrees to it, then they can call him back from Villarreal and sell him. I don't think he will have any kind of good feelings towards Spurs having left them. And I'll be honest, I don't think Spurs will be that disappointed to see him go. The fact that, I mean, it says everything. They're just willing to let him go on loan again. Uh, a player who was one at one point was what, the second most expensive signing in their history. And with Tongi, of course, there's, yeah, I think there's a small bit of money up front. I think they're going to take on the bulk of his wages, which is a good thing, uh, Napoli, from the sounds of it. And um, this, like you say, 30 million euro option to buy. Option to buy doesn't mean too much, of course, unless he does actually do enough to merit signing for that fee. Um, and then obviously you run the risk in that aspect of him being a superstar and showing that, oh, yeah, maybe he is a £50 million player again. Um, and you actually end up letting him go because we've seen that go the other way, Juan Foyth being one of those examples of clearly the actual option being less than he was worth. But look, Spurs will just take whatever they can get right now for Tongi, which is a sad state of affairs. Um, I think Serie A will be a good move for him. I think he, he'll he probably suit the style of football there quite nicely. Um, and yeah, I think all parties will just... Have, I don't know whether there's sporting objectives that can be met so the option becomes an obligation. I don't know. We'll dig a bit more into that when it's actually been agreed. Like I say, at this point, it was an agreement in principle. Um, I just, yeah, it's just sad. And we're going to talk about a little bit about another player later. It's very sad to see their decline. And I think for Spurs, it's just two players there was such promise and excitement about. Um, and we asked this question. I put this question to some of the journos in the presser after Conte had finished. Um, and the, I think Charlie Eccleshire, the athletic, did a, an online poll as well about it. So I'm going to ask you, Ondembele, Gio, which has been the biggest... Uh, sorry, Tongi or Gio. I shouldn't use one's first name, not the other. <laughs> Tongi or Gio, who's the bigger flop for you? Tongi. Come on, uh, look at that. Without well, hesitation, you No, it just because of the fee. And I mean, you're looking at fees, it. Fees weren't that different overall. Yeah, value for money for me and on Belly. I think he was the one who probably came with, you know, bigger expectations on his shoulders. I think the fans were probably expecting a lot from him given how well he'd done uh, at Leon. And unfortunately, it's just never, you know, translated into consistent performances on the pitch. We've seen glimpses of it especially under Jose Mourinho when he got a really good run in the team at one well, point. I was, was going to the... say, Devil's Advocate, has Tongi had a long... Did he have a longer consistent spell than Gio's ever had? Probably. Uh, I think Gio's best spell was from January 2020, probably up until when COVID struck. For a, a couple of months, I think maybe I can't remember after Project you're, you're Restart how well it, it done. Yeah, but I, I didn't Spurs sign him permanently before his good form. No, no, or was it Joe Rennie? He had about four to six weeks of really good form, which kind of made it a no brainer. I think even Mourinho said it's a no brainer to yeah. um, 
to sign yeah. him. It was the day Ericsson left, wasn't it? When they yes. signed him permanently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Tongi, yeah, he's had a good spell in parts, but I've just not I seen it. He was quite consistent. consistent under Mourinho for a while. I thought he, he was a regular and mainstay in that team. But look, they're both flops. Don't get me wrong. They are both flops. Um, I just, I, I don't know if one's worse than the other. And that's the thing. I always felt that Gio, um, I've got to stop calling him Gio. It sounds like we're mates or something. Um, Lo Celso, I don't, I don't think, I always, sorry, I always thought he would be the better fit for a Conte team, which has just surprised me, but it just hasn't worked. It's not, it hasn't worked whatsoever for either player. With Tongi, I always had the feeling like you just wanted more from him. You knew that he had so much in his locker and he, he, he could become one of the best players in the Premier League due to the qualities and the attributes he had. But he just always left you feeling like he could give more and you just never got it from him. But it's a shame. Uh, I thought he'd have done better at Leon on loan last season. That was a really underwhelming loan spell for him when he really needed to perform and it's just not to be. I think Napoli will be a good move for him. Uh, in the past, they've looked to bring a number of players from the Premier League in on loan. I think they had uh, Nathaniel Chalaber at one point, Bakayoko, uh, Tuan Zabi from Manchester United last season and Guisa from Fulham. So I think everyone at Tottenham and probably Napoli as well will have the fingers crossed they can you know, follow, follow in the footsteps of Maradona and lead them to uh, Serie A title success. Right. But whether that happens, I don't know. Well, one of the actually a couple a couple of the people within Spurs that would, who would work with Tongi would would tell me that he was the most naturally gifted player in that club, bar none, and by a long stretch, just an absolutely incredible talent of a player. But there just wasn't the other side to it, and, and it's like it seems it just seems mad. It's just throughout his career, so many different coaches telling him that. And um, I just hope this is the one that fixes it for him because it would be, <clears throat> excuse me, such a waste to football if we don't see the the maximum potential of Tongi Ondimbele unleashed because it could be, it could be amazing. Yeah. I think the saying, obviously, uh, hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard certainly rings true here. And I think that also leads us on to the next player we're going to talk about, and that's Deli Ali. Uh, he obviously left Tottenham in January to join Everton, and he could potentially be on the move from Goodison Park now with a move to Besiktas. Is some fall from grace from him, given you know, probably about four years ago, he was at the peak of his powers and linked with moves to Barcelona and Real Madrid for, you know, obscene amount of money. And I just don't know what's gone wrong or where it went wrong for him. Yeah, it's, it's so sad. It really is so sad because, honestly, he was one of the brightest young talents in European football. He, he really was. He was a joy to watch. Um, at Spurs <clears throat> I remember that first when he came in his debut um, or was it his debut he scored the diving header didn't he against Leicester um, in, I feel like it was his first game uh, it was that second game of the season I think first one was at Manchester United away that maybe season he came so, onto the bench yeah. the first one yeah. but yeah it, it just just from the off he just looked like a player and we talk about you know these players sometimes trying to make the step up from the lower leagues and we're going to hopefully see it with Jed Spence um, 
but just Delhi was ready. He was an 18-year-old that had no fear, um, absolutely believed in himself, and it was just a case of he just found the perfect manager in Poch, I think, to harness everything that he had. Um, and for those two and a half, three seasons, he was a phenomenon. He really was. He, his stats were just destroyed all of the other kind of attacking, young attacking English midfielders that we'd seen, the Gerrards, the Lampards, all that. Delis were so much better and Skulls. Um, but it just couldn't sustain it. It was almost like, like a, I don't want to be too cliched, but kind of like a flame that burnt so brightly, it kind of almost burnt himself out by the time he was, well, probably, what, what is he now? He can't even be that old he's, now. He's 26, I believe. Oh, see, that's it's just even more depressing that we're <laughs> at this stage now. Um, and whether it's a knock-on effect of so much regular football so young, I don't know. But I think there's, you know, anyone will tell you, I think there's there's an element, of course, Delhi, that there's got to be something a little bit more to it behind the scenes and how, whether, whether where he prepared himself, I don't know, or where, where I don't know if it's training, because actually a lot of the stuff I was hearing about his training last summer uh, before, well, actually after Nuno had come in, was really good stuff about how fit he'd got himself and everything. But it's just something, maybe it's uh, maybe it's still having that fire within him, you know, going back to the fire analogy. Maybe it's... It's just having that inspiration to continue to doing well when you've reached a certain stage. I don't know with young players nowadays when, again, I hate to go down the cliche road, but it does seem to be a way. And I'm not saying this is definitely what's happened with Delhi, but you see so many players that earn a hell of a lot of money. They reach an incredible point in their career so young, you know, one of the best players in Europe. And just wonder, is the motivation still there? You know, does... I don't know. With Delhi, of course, people are always going to try and claim that maybe he became more about the brands and and, and the brand of Delhi Ali maybe than the player. Whereas sometimes it, it's more important that the player is the focus, and then the brand stuff comes as a result of that, not the other way around. I don't know. I could be being incredibly harsh there when, when that's suggested, but just to, I, I think a little bit like with Tongi. You know, everyone kind of saying, oh, kind of he's wasted him. And his, his his opportunity to go and prove that wrong was to go to Leon and smash it back in the place he was probably the most comfortable he's ever been. And he didn't. And I feel with Delhi, the Everton move was similar. He could have gone there and absolutely smashed it and showed everyone that he still had that within him. But I think to go to Everton, albeit a struggling Everton team, of course, we've got to put that in there as well, the caveat. But you know, and there's, I know you, you love it. That wasn't a dig, but it, it was purely to say that, you know, it, it's tougher to go into teams that are having a tough time of it. And, but then maybe you could look at someone like Richarlison. Richarlison in that, that second half of the season was, was still putting in terrific performances, scoring goals and everything as well. So there's probably no reason why Delhi couldn't have done that. Um, I just find it so sad to see. Honestly, it's probably, he's probably the one player, and you know what a big Tongi fan I am. I think with Delhi, I think Delhi is probably the biggest sadness I've got about a, a player. And if you know, if it is true that he's going to end up heading to Turkey, this is no disrespect to Turkish football, though it is only going to sound like one. But a player with the quality that Delhi possesses should not, at 26 year old, be having to consider a move to that kind of league. Um, and again, I probably have if any 
Turkish football fans here this are probably going to be very insulted by that. And it's not meant to be, but it is purely on paper. The Turkish league is nowhere near the English league, uh, Spanish league, Italian league, French league. It's just not. Um, it, it is, you know, it doesn't have that same luster to it. And yes, I know, I love one of the stories I saw that, oh, you know, he's attracted by the fact that George's Kevin and Kudu's there and Jensen Fernandez. And it's like, oh, that really shouldn't be your reason for going. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, but those guys have got their talents. Of course they have. But my goodness, you should be, your move should not be dictated by the fact that Jensen and Kudu are at that club. If anything, that probably signifies a level of a club might not be the level that, you know, you should probably be aiming for. Um, oh, I just, I just, it's so, it really does. It breaks my heart to kind of see what's happened with him because I just feel he was a player that was just, was on a massive upward trajectory in his career. And now almost his fall is probably as steep as the climb was. I think we're at this stage now. Obviously, we, 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 from a Spurs perspective, we want to see exactly what happens money-wise. Uh, there's been some suggestion that there'll be a small fee involved that Spurs will still get. I see Sky, just literally as we were coming on to do this podcast, I saw that Sky Sports were saying potentially there's 25% of whatever fee that Everton get, whether it's a permanent fee or a loan fee, would go to Tottenham. Um, it all remains to be seen because there could end up being, if it's a loan, the fee could be nominal. Uh, you know, it really could be barely anything. Um, I just can't believe it, to be honest. I can't believe I thought he'd go to Everton and and do something. I thought he would get his career back on track, and I'm sure you hoped he would as well. And to see him now going potentially to Turkey, it's just it's crazy. You know, maybe sometimes you see this when players are in their late, like or kind of 30, maybe they're reaching, to see him at 26 when he should be not even in his prime yet, but approaching his prime. Very sad. Yeah. I mean, I, I was saying last night, I would rather go down to the championship than go to mm. Turkey. Uh, it's just incredible. There's very nice places there to go on holiday. Though. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at the Besiktas squad and obviously, as you mentioned, Gedson and George Kevin and Kudu there. Cenk Tursen, who we'll know from Everton. Oh, my goodness. And maybe yes. Cenk's had a word with him. I think they've got Masuaku from West Ham on loan. Roman Saiz, who was at Wolves, I think he's there now. So there's a large collection in the Turkish League of ex-Premier League a players. parking lot for ex-Premier League players, isn't it? Yeah, it's the Everton move, for whatever reason, just hasn't worked out. I know a lot has been said about the transfer fee and, you know, what would Spurs get and if he could potentially reach 40 million in the end. I think one of the clauses was once he's played 20 uh, times for Everton in the, I think it's either the league or just all competitions, then Everton would owe Spurs 10 million. And he's on 13 appearances at the moment. So, I mean, you could look into that and say, maybe with Everton's financial issues at the moment, is it a case of, we don't want to pay the 10 million, so let's get rid of him now. Or does it really highlight the fact that, you know, what Frank Lampard's obviously not seen what he wanted to in Delhi because there was a video when he joined the club and I can remember Lampard actually saying to Delhi, we did it, meaning basically he wanted to bring him to the club and it's just not worked out for him. It was uh, mainly a substitute 
during his time at Goodison last season. He, he did make a couple of big contributions, notably against Leicester, where Richarlison equalised in the last minute, and then against Crystal Palace to help turn uh, the game around and what helps Everton stay up. But there were times where he was an unused substitute, and I think what's probably highlighted these struggles as well is this season, Everton haven't had a striker because... Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been injured. Rondon was suspended for the first game. You're thinking Delhi in the false nine, perfect for him. But no, Anthony Gordon uh, played there instead. So you're just thinking, Brighton's really on the wall for Delhi. And I mean, what what is he doing in training? Surely he's, he can't That's be doing it. enough. That is, and, like you say, if Lampard wanted him that much, what is he doing behind the scenes that has suddenly made him not want him? Yeah, so... I don't know what that is, whether the desire's just not there anymore. Is it a case of giving all the criticism he was getting from all quarters when he was, you know, performing badly? Is it a case of why bother? I can't win either way. I I just, I don't know. It's just so sad to see him potentially going to Turkey at the age of 26. I mean, even a year ago, you wouldn't have even predicted this, never mind five or six years ago when he was at the peak of his powers. It's... It's incredible. It's just so, so sad. And, you know, I think all Tottenham fans will agree that hopefully he can get his career back on track because he still have, still has an awful lot to offer in the game. But it's down to him now. And the video of Jose Mourinho has been doing the rounds yeah. this morning on Twitter. The talk that had Jose basically saying, time flies, don't regret it. It's down to you. And it is. It's down to Delhi now. Yeah, it's difficult to watch that back. I think, yeah, weirdly, I think we spoke about that video, didn't we? When he left for Everton kind of thing. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's just so sad that the lessons of that, you know, Jose Mourinho, he knows players. He knows careers. He knows, you know, what goes on in in players' minds. And, and it was, it felt like at the time, very much an, a very good analysis of Delhi, I think, and where he was at. Um, and obviously... <sighs> It's a difficult one to read exactly what he was thinking. I think a lot of us maybe watched that video and felt that Delhi was just like, um, yeah, whatever kind of thing. It kind of, I don't know, I just got that vibe from it. Maybe entirely unfair and he may have been taking it all in. But I think just what we've seen since, yeah, Jose knew, didn't he? He knew what was kind of going on there. Um, and I think from what I understood, Poch towards the end of his time could see that it wasn't quite the same Delhi as well. Um, and he was he was kind of in and out of um, jo uh, Jose in and out of Poch's team towards the end then as well. And you know we're years on now. We're, we've had so many managers. Even Nuno gave him a go in a completely different role in the midfield, in a deeper role on the, the left of a three. And then eventually he had to. I think he took him off at half time, didn't he? Was it in the Arsenal game? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was. So. Yeah, it's just so many managers have tried. I mean, what are we talking about? Poch, Jose, Nuno. Did he Ryan get back? Mason. He got back in under Ryan Mason, didn't he? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think yeah. he did. Um, Conte, obviously, um, had a little look at him for a couple of months. and He then played well in that Liverpool game in he December. Did. Uh, we were talking about that the other day in the press box, that that midfield that day, Tongi, Harry Winks, and Delhi was in midfield, and it was one of Spurs' best performances. It was superb. It's just mad. Um, so yeah, you've had all of those managers and, and Lampard now as well, and none of them are being able to light that fire under him to kind of get him going again. 
Um, who knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe just something in his life will flick that switch back on again. Maybe, maybe the Turkey, you know, maybe we're slightly mocking the move to Turkey or dismayed by the move to Turkey. Maybe it could reignite his passion for football again. Who knows? Maybe being in a different country away from the pressures and the spotlight in England. I don't know. But yeah, very, very sad. Yeah. I mean, does he just need Poch in terms of wherever Poch heads next? Does Delhi just need to go there with him? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's... There's even suggestions when he was linked with PSG that Poch maybe wasn't that desperate to have him, that yeah. PSG more saw it as an opportunity. Um, and like we say, towards the end of his time with Poch, he wasn't getting a team then either, really. Yeah. Sad, sad either way. We'll see what happens, though. Uh, right. Before we call it a day, because it's been quite a long podcast today. Yes, I just realised that. Almost an hour and a half. I think we've got to touch on Saturday lunchtime's game against Wolves. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Wolves haven't had the best of starts in the new season. Lost against Leeds and then drew against Fulham uh, last week. Perhaps uh, lucky to get a point from that in that game so on on paper i mean this phrase crops up pretty much every podcast it should be a tottenham win given they're at home but wolves did win at tottenham hotspur stadium uh last season and i think the one pre-pandemic didn't they in the game when surge scored the so matt doherty scored that one he did. That was the game yeah. where there was a video of Tongi yeah. trying to track back and tackle and just not making an impact. Uh, yes. So, yeah, tough game. One you expect him to get three points from. I think the key thing now is what they got to show. This is, this is where I think we'll see how much the Conte mentality has seeped into them now. Whether he's in the dugout or not, I think the key now is to not come from that Chelsea game and think, oh, well, it's only Wolves now. That's the massive thing. Wolves, like you say, beat them last season and Spurs were appalling in that match against Wolves last season at home. Spurs have got to come into this game absolutely trying to, I think, make amends almost for that Chelsea performance and feel like they need to show far more. It's certainly the attacking players, I think. You know, Solly and Kulisevsky, I think, will be wanting to show a lot more as well. Um, I do wonder whether he starts to tinker a little bit slightly after that. I wonder whether Perisic might get a first start. That's going to be a big call for him. Does he give Cesc the confidence of playing him again? Or does he feel like maybe Perisic needs those minutes now to get sharper? Does maybe Basuma come in? Does he feel that Basuma needs to have a, a start? Um, I just wonder whether... The fact that they didn't win gives him that little bit more of a leeway now to not have the same starting eleven again. It's Conte, so he may just go with exactly the same starting eleven. But um, yeah, I'd be intrigued to see what they do. Um, see whether Longley is fit enough to be back on the bench or not. He was kind of maybe slightly doubting that when we asked him pre-Chelsea whether he'd be back for Wolves or not. Um, Skippy, hopefully, I think is by the end of this week is going to be back doing some outdoor stuff. So that's a good sign. Hopefully, that means he should be back. Conte said a couple of weeks last press conference that was pre um Chelsea so we're almost a week on from that so hopefully we're getting towards something there um yeah tough match Wolves always play well against Spurs they're always tough tight games and uh I think it's a, I think it's a really good test at a good time for Spurs straight off that Chelsea game 
don't let your standards drop. If anything, be better. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you. Uh, give it another week or two. I think we will start to see a bit more rotation in the team because I think following the Notts Forest game, it's pretty much a game every few days, really, because yeah. there's West Ham away in the Premier League and then the return of uh, the Champions League and Tottenham will discover their opponents in the Champions League next Thursday when the draw is made in Turkey. So, yeah, it's fingers crossed they can get back back uh, on board with another, you know, three points, just get back to winning ways. But, as you were saying, Wolves also need a win and they're always tough games against Wolves. So, as always, we'll just have the coverage on London on Saturday. You're going to be at the game. I'm not this yeah. weekend, but yeah. I love that you just put that out there, isn't it? and I'm not. Yeah, just let everyone know. <laughs> <laughs> right, I think we'll call it a day now as it's pretty much an hour and a half we've done. Uh, as always, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.